So I'd like to offer some instructions for the day. The instructions come from the Pali, the Mahasatipatthana Sutta, the foundations, the great foundations of mindfulness, which I've been, we've been saying is uh, the four foundations of the body, feeling tones, mind states, and the dharmas, or these collections of teachings that support awakening. And we began yesterday with the mindfulness of the body, with our posture, with our breath, bringing our mindfulness to the activities, walking, eating, and this continuity of mindfulness in all that we do, from showering to toileting, bending. We can bring our mindfulness to our day-to-day life experience. In the foundation of the body, there are actually six distinct practices that are taught. Often in the West, we work more with the first three, but I want to just name the latter three so that you're aware that this is a very important part of uh, Buddhist meditation practice. Within the body, there is the awareness of breathing that we've been practicing and bringing mindfulness to our postures. Essentially, there's four of them as a human being that we go in and out of, from sitting to lying to standing to walking. And again, this mindfulness in day-to-day activities. The latter three are not practiced as much, but are very important practices. And of course, some individuals are more into these than others. And there's an anatomical practice called the 32 parts of the body meditation. And then there's a practice on physical matter of materiality, that all material phenomena is made of four primary elements of solids, liquids, motion, and temperature. And the last practice is a fairly graphic contemplation that I won't go into the graphic details of the mindfulness of death, of when the body first dies on the first day of death in its various stages of decomposition until the body in the last stage turns into dust. These are powerful practices to awaken again these messengers of aging, illness, and death. And Particularly some of these practices, like of the elements, is helping to begin to blur some of the sense of the separation that we may experience between ourselves and the natural world for the solids that exist within the body are the same solids that exist in the world. The liquids within the body of the saliva, the blood, the urine, liquids that are found inside the fluids of plants, animals, the waters, the oceans, the streams, the lakes. The breath that we breathe, the sense of motion, the heart pumping, the breath breathing, the ability to ambulate our limbs within the body and externally, the sense of motion, the winds, the air, 
movement in the natural world. And of course the sense of temperature. Of course within the body there's the element of temperature. And within the world of course the varied elements of, of temperature as well, of warmth, coolness. So found internally and externally. Perhaps in time we begin to dissolve some of the sense of separation between ourselves and the natural world, for we are part of it. There's one poet that says that since our body is made of atoms, who knows, after we die, maybe some of these atoms will be in, in, in a sunflower. Others might float up into space. Others might be part of a porcupine. And she ends by saying, so long as there's a universe, I am part of this universe. So that sense of the elements of our, the dissolving of separation and disconnection These are the practices of the body, the breath, the postures, the mindfulness and activities, the anatomical parts of the body, the elements, the mindfulness of death. And today we'll explore and practice of the second foundation, which is feeling tones in Pali Vedana, which means to feel and to know. So it has an element of, of a physical and, and an emotive or cognitive to feel and to know. But it's often referred to as the gut feelings, impressions that are the seeds that form our reactions. And it's very um, important to recognize the Buddha articulated a whole second foundation of mindfulness to pay attention closely to these different feeling tones for they are the earliest or the earlier seeds of when the seed reaction. Often uh, in life there is chains of events of causation. This happens, that happens, that happens, this happens and so forth. Early in that chain of reactions, there's the gut feelings about things, and then we begin to think about it more and begin to react to it and talk about it or act upon it. Or sometimes we're thinking about something and then it begins to get a reaction. So these reactions, these impressions are very important. These are the seeds of, of what potentially can lead to uh, sometimes disastrous consequences, or at times perhaps consequences that bring us closer together. So paying attention to these gut reactions to things. Just to try to move away from the analytical, trying to figure out what is he talking about, these gut reactions. So sometimes even just guttural sounds give the definition much more than what words could say. And so, essentially, the feeling tones come in three flavors. Unpleasant, pleasant, 
or sometimes we could say neither pleasant nor unpleasant or indifferent or neutral. But the guttural sounds are, when it's very pleasant, there's a feeling in the body of mmm. And if it's unpleasant, ugh. <laughs> and if it's kind of n neutral and different, either pleasant or unpleasant, it's like, eh. <laughs> and so as we said, be aware of when there's a little mmm or eh. It's coming all the time. It's going all the time. Perhaps the cooks are cooking and there's a little wave of garlic in the room and for some of us, mmm, others, ugh, others, ugh. We're sitting here, there's lots going on. It seems like not much is going on, but underneath the hood, lots going on, you know that. And so uh, today's highlighting is being mindful of these tones that begin to S capture us, seduce us, bringing in these feelings of reactions, and we can build trilogies and epic proportions. In Buddhist psychology, there's a teaching called Dependent Origination in Pali, but teaches Samuppada, and it explains these events, causational events that lead to reactions. And early in that sequence, is the impression of what's there. That impression that's received that's pleasant or unpleasant and neutral, and then things begin to generate. To thinking about it, and he's right, she's right, and this and that, and shouldn't be, could be. So being aware of this place where we get the impression of things. Sometimes we may not realize that impression until we're into the reaction a bit, which is not a problem. Once you recognize, oh, here's a trigger. I see you now. Triggered. Acknowledging the trigger. It's not to be denied. It's actually knowledge. If you recognize that you're actually triggered, that is knowledge. If you don't know, you're actually spinning around in more ignorance. You're just feeding it. But if you become aware, that changes it. So my teacher used to say, teacher's name was Tungpulu Toya Kabaye Siero. means in Burmese, the forest ghost mountain world peace teacher. Because <laughs> he lived in a forest that was haunted by ghosts, they said. And he was also a world peace teacher designated to him by a Buddhist council. But he had a beautiful, simple explanation of these laws of causation, of dependent origination. And essentially he said, if you know, K-N-O-W, if you know, it will break. If you don't know, you will go around and around. This is dependent origination. So if you know, you can begin to break the cycle. If you don't know, around and around you go. So the emphasis is on the knowing. Knowing gives us knowledge. Not knowing, we can spin around. <coughs> so may we hold this practice with compassion when we all of a sudden we become aware that we know that we're triggered, we're angry, we're sad, we're scared, we're 
confused, we're having a shame humiliation attack. Once we know it, may we acknowledge it. This is here, to be known. This knowing of it begins to break that cycle of feeding it and just going down and down and down, to know it. To name it. The naming can begin to set us more free. There's this very beautiful story when the Buddha was awakening and Mara was known as kind of like the tempter. Was trying to scare the Buddha. You, you, who are you to be enlightened? Mara would say. And Mara set out his armies and wanted to scare the Buddha. And there's this metaphorical image of all these arches letting all these stringing out these arrows all going towards the Buddha to scare him to get out of his seat. And the Buddha opened his eyes and looked straight into Mara's heart and said, heart and said, I see you fear. I see you, Mara. And then metaphorically speaking, it said that those arrows turn into lotus blossoms, like that power of seeing, that power of knowing, that power of meeting and naming and acknowledging what's here. So these feeling tones, they will come and go, and we will get, no doubt, hooked by them and lost in the train of the stories of them. But once we become aware, ah, I see you, I know you. And perhaps in time we begin to catch it earlier, these sense of little activations, little feelings begin to generate the sense of reaction. So expanding this field, being in the body and experiencing within the body these different failing tones of experience that are also ever-changing. Kind of like the New England weather systems. They're coming, they're going. So how to work with this as a practice, it may be helpful to <coughs> continue just to feel into the body and perhaps Continue to be with the breath as the primary object, or if you would prefer an option, you could listen to sounds as an object or physical sensations, staying in the body as the practice. But from time to time, there will be times, of course, that you're swept away, different feelings. Why is this person near me breathing too loud? When is Bob going to stop coughing? There's all these types of like little irritations, and like, oh, oh here's anger. Here's unpleasant. Here's unpleasant. Here's a sense of eh, not much happening. So just be aware of these. They move in and they move out. And unnoticed they can begin to build and catapult like an avalanche, like the snowball going down the hill. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So whenever you catch that snowball going down the hill, that moment of awareness interrupts the feeding of it. Because we're now aware, we're awake. And so just staying with the body, with the breath, from time to time just being aware, oh, here's unpleasant. Oh, here I'm experiencing a pleasant feeling. Sometimes it might be a little bit more imperceptible, a little bit more just kind of a neutral, and that's all right too. Whatever's here, and experiencing 
its comings and its goings. Being present. Again, there's two, just to say, there's no need to try to figure out that feeling or analyze it. Just to know it is enough. Or just to know there's a feeling there. It might be hard even or imperceptible. At one moment it feels pleasant, it turns into unpleasant. There's no need even to try to figure it out. Just to know the feelings come and they go. But to be aware of how that these feelings can create a big impact of our reactivity of things. Being present.
So we'll take some time for um, any questions regarding the instructions from this morning or yesterday for that matter or from the talk last night or questions about practice. So we'll have a little space for some questions. you repeat that? I didn't quite hear. It said it has to do with sleepiness, where it's like I'm going into this like dreamlike state and I go out images, and then I'm somewhat aware that I'm here, but it's more, what is more in the forefront are like the images, and then I'll just kind of bring it back, mm-hmm. and I'll drift into like more of a sleep. Mm-hmm. Just any ideas for how to work with that. Yeah. And frustration around it And so there's some expression of um, <coughs> practicing and having a lot of, um, <coughs> I don't know, dreaminess, uh, sluggishness, images, getting frustrated, wanting to be more awake. Right? Anyone, take a look around the room, anyone else can relate to that? <laughs> it's a good company. Yeah, this is normal, normal, normal. And um, you know, I think for many of us, we may not even realize <coughs> how tired we are until we come on a retreat and begin to stop. And it seems like all of our life begins to, like we begin to get more in touch with this <coughs> body and mind and just how exhausted we are. And in the collection of teachings, the dharmas, it speaks about challenges that come up in meditation practice and how to work with them, and one of them is sleep, that's for sure. We'll hear more about that and others touch upon it probably tonight a little bit as well in the talk. <coughs> and, um, so it's very normal. I often feel by the time the retreat will be over, you'll have finally waken up. <laughs> And, um, you know, I think it is to be worked with. And there was some, you know, comments yesterday that I think that were very helpful as far as, you know, you can open your eyes, you could sit away from the back of the chair, you could stand up, um, I don't, sitting by the edge of a well or a 5,000 foot cliff, or you're sitting at the edge of a tiger run, you got to be awake. I remember one of my teachers. He used to sit in one of these chairs, cross-legged. What he would do is turn the other way and, and look at the back of the chair. That kept, he didn't fall asleep because one false move, you're just, you fall back. <laughs> Another teacher I know used to, li- used to light two candles and hold them on his hands. <laughs> Keep awake. <laughs> That's kind of the macho meditators. <laughs> Well, yeah, you could try, like sitting on your chair the other way. That, that, that'd be real, um, you'd, you'd be awake. And um, but sleep is normal. Sometimes we just don't, again, don't know how tired we are until we stop. And 
you know, you look at that pillow and you think you should be sitting on it again lighten. What you really want to do is put your head on it and go to sleep. Sometimes we need to honor the sleep. There's an old teaching story of these two young monks, and one was pretty macho and found his brother monk sleeping on the job instead of meditating, and went and told the teacher, tattletale, I'm going to bust that monk, and the teacher said, here's a blanket, put it on him. <laughs> Keep him comfortable. Great compassion for our humanness. So what is wise effort when it's time to open the eyes, sit on the other side of the chair? When is it time to, you know, maybe at lunchtime I'm going to take a little nap. My body really needs some rest. The wisdom, the wise effort. I think for many of us collectively, um, it's a generalization, but for many of us we enter the retreat very tired. <coughs> I have this fantasy, uh, I think... I won't be able to fulfill the fantasy, but the fantasy is that during a meditation retreat when people come in the hall, there's going to be like 40 beds. <laughs> and it's like, all right, stay in there for about 14 hours, and the next day, maybe about 10 hours, the next day, about... Finally, um, you know, from bed to the lazy boy chair, to gradually <laughs> on the chair, then to the cushion, by the end of the retreat, you're on the cushion. But you'll be fully awake. You think I could pull it off here at Insight Retreat Center? <laughs> we could ask them if they could put in 40 beds. <laughs> I don't know. But, um, but sometimes, like, yeah, we're so tired. So we work with it. It's like this, like, neither perception nor perception, sluggishness, not fully awake, not fully asleep, sloth and torpor. It's, it, it's one of the things that's normal to come up in practice, and so we try to work with it. And also I think a very valuable question to ask ourselves as well, is there something that I'm not wanting to feel? I, I just want to sleep. I just don't want to be here because it's so uncomfortable. So sometimes that can be there too. I think it's an honest question to transparently ask ourselves if this is coming up aside being tired. Is there some things that are just too painful? Just to explore that potentially. Yeah, sleep, tired, yeah. Mm -hmm. There was a retreat that Bob described. A friend of mine went on it. Actually, there were mattresses all over the floor, <laughs> and they were encouraged <coughs> to sleep as much as they needed to. And when they became fully rested, they were also really able to be fully there for the retreat. I think would be a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never heard. You never to ask them to find out more lunchtime about this retreat. <laughs> well, I'll sign up for it. Um, some things that arise are so unpleasant, like specifically. 
Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so speaking about shame and hating the feel of shame and shame is awful yeah it is it's it's difficult and um and i just want to just just honor you so deeply for just naming that and it's such a deep human emotion that I know I experience, and I trust many others, and it's even shameful to bring it up that <laughs> I have shame, and like I'm, you know, and so just really want to honor your courage to be so honest, and it, it's it's difficult, and and this is part of our practice, you know, we're, we're like with the yoga, we're not stretching our arm out of socket, but we're working with the edges, and so to the best that we can, when shame arises, can I begin to meet that just like anything else. You know, Rumi says to welcome and entertain them all. And it's difficult to treat each of those guests honorably. The dark thoughts, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door and invite them in. It's a radical notion. But perhaps in time we learn to have, as Jack Cornfield likes to speak of, tea with the demons. We can have a shame sandwich and eat it very slowly. <laughs> and chew it. And mix our saliva with it. And like, wow, this is shame. And I'm stretching into opening into the shame. And perhaps I begin to discover my beloved within the shame. And that this part of me that I have rejected and denied and hated and self-loathed begins to become a sense of, can I befriend that part? Can I begin to forgive or reconcile? Often the shame is rooted in something in the past that as we look back now with hindsight, there's wisdom, and I you know, I know more now than I did then. And ah, can I understand and have compassion for that part of me then that was scared, that was unaware, that was with fear. And perhaps she's really crying out, love me, see me hold me, understand me, and I can begin to hold her with compassion, to begin to understand, set understanding that begins to set us free, like, oh yeah, this is where I was then. I was so scared. I was unaware. I'm not happy with what I did and how I reacted, and I can begin to reconcile. This is very deep work, the work of the heart to heal our hearts, to reconciling the times of loathing and shame and humiliation about ourselves, reconciling to those that I've, because of my unawareness, I've really hurt others that I also can have shame about. And even reconciling, perhaps in times, beginning to soften that resentment and grudges of others that have hurt us, that has become so painful. So I understand wanting to just to get out. And you know, and sometimes maybe that's the wisest thing. If it's like too much and it's overwhelming, Maybe it's wise. Well, I'm going to get up and do a little walking practice and, and shift to maybe I, I, what right now might be helpful is to just feel my feet on the earth. Some sense of when I'm so activated, what are the resources that I can use to help ground me? But at the same time, if it's there and I'm, if I'm feeling some sense of curiosity and investigation and, and like, yeah, let me, let me feel it. Maybe it's like, you know, like, bring it on, shame. I want to meet you and become intimate with you. Because intimate is into me I see. And this is so much part of our practice, the intimacy of transparently 
being with ourselves, with the good, the bad, the ugly, and perhaps beginning to befriend, and maybe beginning to see with penetrating insight that these stories that I keep on telling myself, the story of shame, the story of humiliation, that I don't need to feed this so much anymore. I understand it came from such deep places of pain, and this narrative that keeps on repeating is not all of me. To me, this is some of the most liberating qualities of the Dharma, is becoming more free of these narratives that have enslaved us because we understand them more, we're less caught by them. So may you hold it with compassion. When the time is right, have a good old shame and humiliation sandwich. <laughs> and when times you need to, like, oh, this is enough, you know, go out, feel your feet on the earth, take care of yourself and your heart. And I think you speak for a lot of people of not wanting to be around shame and humiliation. Thank you for bringing that into the room. Anybody else know about shame, or am I the only one in her? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, it's huge, it's huge. Please. And this will be after Bruce. We got to give some announcements and come on, on so, our day. So um, I had a recent shame reaction. The first night when we were here, and I was doing the precepts, uh, and just lost it, completely lost it, and fumbled over the first couple of precepts. Uh, I just felt this wave of um, some sort of vibratory energy just shoot through my whole body. I was very aware of it right at the time. And um, it was difficult, it was painful, and very uncomfortable. And I, I normally am fairly kind to myself, so it isn't like this chronic thing, but this was acute. And I felt it, and I felt it very strongly. And um, it was shame, for sure. Embarrassment, which is kind of a shame. And um, it, it affected my sleep uh, at night, and so I kind of was feeling it on and off throughout the whole night. But I kept opening to all the sensations involved with it, and just trying to open to, as Bob said, to the shame sandwich. And over and over and over again, when I woke up the next morning after a horrible night's sleep, really, Actually, I felt surprisingly good all day yesterday. And I had a very concentrated and relaxed sit. So something must have processed in that continuing to open to it. So I think Bob's advice is, it, I can tell you on a, a recent day ago example that it, it helped me. And just a little bit of cognitive, I, I knew where it came from. It came from extreme fatigue and it came from the fact that when Jill and I do the precepts, we do them in Pali. We don't do them in English. So those English phrases weren't just right there. And <coughs> so, thank you. And um, we'll have a few announcements. And, you know, one, of course, is that um, when we're done here, um, those in the practice discussions, um, group discussions, will we'll go. and. Bruce is in room 100, and Jill is in 1, and room 1 is in the community room right next to the office, where right where you were doing yoga, and um, room 100 is, um, let's say if you're going down the stairs here, you would um, head towards the community room, but then take a right. You'll walk past the elevator, you'll walk past, down past some stairs that go downstairs, and 
you wind around to uh, room 100 where Bruce is. And the group practice discussions, the individual practice discussions are about, about practice. Um, you're not on an interview. You've already been hired. It's not a final exam. You've already got the A+. And um, it's a time just to you know, talk about how the practice is going and, and if there's some questions as well. So um, just to say that, that Jill and Bruce are meeting with groups this morning during both walking meditations. The times are listed, as you know. And there is a still a few spots that are open. So if you have not put your name, you can do so even for the 930 group that's coming up and, and join that. Um, it's possible that Ayla may be joining some of the groups since and, and to, 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 we invited her in to observe and to be part of it, so you'll just know that she may be there too. This afternoon, I will be offering two practice discussion groups um, after, um, in the afternoon, and you, you all know the times there as well. Also, speaking of Ayla, she has, um, there's also on the sign-up sheets a few slots if some of you would like to talk with her about um, some yoga tips or support for yoga. So that's also up there as well. And tonight there will be the um, posted will be the individual practice discussions that will go over um, the next two days, Friday and Saturday. Um, we're going to do something a little bit different this afternoon with the with the yoga that we thought was has just a, a nice flow to it. And so when we come down for yoga in the community room, we'll just stay in the community room until dinner. So there'll be yoga and there'll be some silent sitting after that. So we don't have to go up and down. For those of you that are choosing the option to walk, because some of you may prefer to do that, other than the yoga, then you're welcome just to do the walking practice and you can just go back up to the hall at, at that time and, and sit as well or join in with the community room if it feels that people have moved into a place of sitting. We may extend the yoga for almost a full hour this time so that there's a little bit more space to it so you'll have to see with your walking practice whether it's suitable to join in to the, the sitting w w that's going to happen after the yoga, but we can't give you the exact time for that. Um, there was a request, and I think it's a very reasonable one, that if you are not using a chair, but you've left things on it, your things, sometimes there can be so many things on chairs that people don't actually have a place to sit. And so if you could kindly, if you're not using a chair, to take your things off it, unless... Um, yeah, I think that would be very helpful unless you're using the chair primarily all the time. But even sometimes if you're sitting and you put your things in the empty chair next to you, somebody might actually want to go sit there and and then they may not know that they can sit there or not. So just um, to be mindful of that. All right, so um, have a good day and... <laughs> I'm often reminded when I used to tell my kids, but I still tell them even though they're grown up, whenever they leave, I say, be safe and have fun. So the same with you. <laughs>